Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. The episode of the Next Track you're about to hear was recorded in early March before any quarantine orders were issued. Regular listeners will know that around then we were able to arrange interviews with a number of People who were also stuck at home, and we thought it was more timely to release those than this somewhat short episode. So we're releasing it now, and here it is. There were three things uh, that have led to this episode. Um, For a long time, people have been asking us, could you guys talk about an alternative to the iTunes music ecosystem? And... We go, yeah, that's a great idea. But unfortunately, neither one of us wants to make an investment like that. <laughs> we don't we, we don't want to be that podcast that will test every possible application there is because, you know, our, our music libraries are really important. We don't want to disintegrate them by using some kind of third-party thing that we don't know anything about. So we've been reluctant to do that. Um, we're just like you. We don't want to wreck our libraries. The The second thing, though, is that Kirk has been talking about using Plex, which is a media server, uh, at his house to stream videos. But, of course, this is a podcast about music, so we really haven't touched on that too much. And I don't think Kirk's used it much as a music server, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, and the third thing is, is that my friend Greg, of course, Doug has a friend named Greg, right? Doug and Greg. Um, my my friend Greg, who's a Windows guy and who's a who's a music lover, but not exactly like us, uh, has been troubled for years for trying trying to get his music where he wants it. And he's he's a Windows person because he uses them in his work, and he, it's not like he's against Apple or using anything like that. It's just that he hasn't had the opportunity, so he's had some tough choices. And what he settled on was Amazon Music. He liked that because they, for a time, would allow him to upload his music to their servers and he could have it anywhere. But they recently stopped that, and he's now back where he was, square one. And so he called me a couple weeks ago and said, have you ever heard of this thing called Plex? And I said, oh, well, uh, my friend Kirk uses it. He uh, comes, you know, he uses it to stream video. It sounds just like what you want to use it for. I'd give it a shot. I'd be curious to know how it works. So he installed it said it was really easy. He's not a techie guy. said it was very easy to install, very easy, found all his music. Um, He consolidated his music library because, like I was saying, for years he's been trying to figure out how to do this right, and he's got drives of music all over the place and different computers and things like that around the house. So he's very happy with Plex. He can maintain a a main library on on a nice computer at home. He can listen to music around the house on his phones. He can listen to it remotely while he's driving around. He's got access to his music. His whole family has access to his music. He's very happy with it. So I said, I'm going to try it. And that's when Kirk said, hey, we ought to do a podcast episode about that. So that's why we're going to be talking about Plex, the media server today. And before we even start, can you just tell me what the difference is between a media server and like jukebox software? Well, jukebox software, it reads the files on your computer and plays them. And this is iTunes, for example. 
a media server allows you to move them from that computer and play them on other devices. So when you run Plex, it runs something in the background on your computer, Mac, PC, or even a NAS. Plex has apps for all sorts of different devices. And what it does is it makes your music available over the network. And if you pay for a Plex Pass, we'll discuss this a little bit later, you can even make your music available outside your own network. Music, videos, all the content that it supports. It does support quite a bit of, of, of stuff, too. You get podcasts. Um, they recently have started providing a streaming service. Ad Not that supported, we're endorsing it. No, an ad-supported video streaming service. They also integrate very well with Tidal. So if you did want to use it for your own library plus streaming from outside, you could do that. What I do is I have it running on my Mac Mini server, which sits in a room and does Plex and file backups, etc., and that way I can watch movies or TV shows that I've ripped from DVDs and Blu-rays. I can watch them on my TV. I can watch them on my iPad. This was really useful a few years ago. My partner's mother was ill. And so my partner was driving a few hours to be with her mother, you know, for like a week, every other week or so. And she could take her iPad and watch movies that we had ripped. Now, of course, you can do that with iTunes purchases they're, they're accessible if you're signed into the account, wherever you are. But here, you're using your own content. And today, we're going to talk about music, but the same is the case for videos. Like, I've got all these Shakespeare Blu-rays that I've ripped, so I can watch them at any time, any place. If I'm, I don't know, sitting on a train, I can whip out my iPhone and watch Hamlet. Whoa! You are living in the future. <laughs> um, the thing that I, I, I want to emphasize this, too, is... You might say, well, you can do that with the iTunes ecosystem, but you really can't. I've never had any success in, for instance, streaming videos I've ripped from a computer to my iPad at night while I'm in bed. Just, I just want to see that, that episode of iClaudius I've ripped, and I, I can't do it. it, it has to, the iPad has to seemingly index forever, and then by the time it's done, I can't access any files anyway. I, I, I don't know what's happening there. So... Plex has fixed that for me. It's I can watch anything on on the iPad and the iPhone. I don't think I'd ever watch a movie on the iPhone. But uh, for me, on my consuming device, the iPad Mini at night, it's it's been a boon. It's just tremendous. So I pulled out all my old videos. I've dumped it all, all into Plex. But I did want to use it for music. So we didn't want to talk too much about the video aspect of it. But since I had success with the video. I wanted to try it with music. One more point about video is you can use a wide range of video formats. iTunes only plays MP4 and .move, etc. It's a lot easier to rip videos in MKV format. They're a lot more flexible, and Plex can read them. They can read AVI. They can read a ton of formats. The same is the case for music. Plex can read AAC, MP3, FLAC, Apple Lossless, etc. So you've got a wider range of formats than the more limited Apple ecosystem. Yeah. Well, let's just dive in. I, I installed it, got the video thing going. I don't really, like I said, I don't want to talk about that. And then what you do is you ask it to create a new library, and in this case, a music library, and it asks you, where do you want me to look for these music files? And so I pointed it at my iTunes um, collection, pulled it all in. Um, most of the artwork was correct. Most of the information it pulled was correct. I have to say that the, the interface is a little bit difficult to maneuver at first. It's not as intuitive as you might think, or maybe I'm just so used to using iTunes and music that I didn't know where to look for things. 
eventually I got the hang of it. Part of the problem, well, it's not a problem. Part of the issue is that it's um, multi-platform. It's cross-platform. So there's a limitation as to what, uh, you know, how much how much tech it's got in it that can be shared by, you know, all the various platforms. So one thing to remember is, as you said, you can point it to a folder. You can make a number of different libraries, each one pointed to a different folder. So you could have your iTunes library, which is one library. You could have another library of music you don't want in your iTunes library, still accessible in Plex. As you say, the interface is really a lot more limited. You can view by albums, artists, or tracks. You can sort in many ways, title, album, artist, year, release date, critic rating, etc., etc. And you can filter to show only items in a particular genre, particular year. You can set tags that iTunes doesn't support, such as mood and style and collection and labels, and for that reason, if you want to organize your music like that, that's really useful. And of course, in iTunes, you can do that by putting something in the comments field, making smart playlists. So it's sort of, you know, six of one, half a dozen of another, as they say. This, speaking of playlists, this doesn't have a smart playlist feature per se. I mean, it's got the filter. I found it really difficult to make playlists. In fact, I normally don't recommend that people use playlists to organize their libraries too much. But in this case, I think you this is where you do want to use playlists to organize, because I found it a little difficult to actually lay my hands on, on certain things. I kept clicking on artwork when I should have been clicking on artist names or album names and things like that. So, I mean, I wasn't, I, uh, it was hit or miss for me, but I found it was a lot easier to, to, um, to manipulate information if I had stuff already in their playlists. But that, even that was difficult to do. I had to look up how to do that. Yeah, it's not... I, I don't want to say that it's a half-assed solution, because it's not. It's definitely not for videos. For music, videos are different. You have 100 movies, maybe 200. They each have names. You know what they are. Plex brings in a lot of metadata about the movies. It'll bring in posters. It'll bring in cast and director information and, and all of that. It can bring in so much information, you can tell it to stop bringing in so much yeah. information. Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah, much yeah. there is. But the problem with music is that you listen to music differently. If you do care about playlists, well, then it gets really complicated. If you're just listening by album, well, that's fine. There's no way to sort. The, the find feature is clunky. It's not that it's slow. It's just I, I've not found it really practical. I mean, so I've just uh, searched for a bill in my library, and I get tracks, and I get three tracks, and I get three albums, and I get three artists, and where's the rest, and how do I get to the rest of it? And you know, iTunes has the, uh, sorry, the music app now has that filter bar, so you can filter down what you're looking at, making it a little bit easier to find things. I, I think Plex is really good if you're an album listener. If you want to spend the time creating playlists, and you can do it manually, there's a little playlist button, you select something, add to playlist. But I, I don't, did you try exporting an iTunes playlist to see if it can, Plex can import the XML file? Um, I didn't try that. Is that a feature that's in there? I didn't. I don't know. I, I didn't notice it. Um one of the things I, I was most concerned about, though, was editing um, tracks. I mean, would I use Plex to, you know, manage the editing? And it's, it's, it's well, it's not Apple scriptable, so that's a that's a that's a date killer right there for me. But as far as 
being able to edit it in iTunes and having Plex pick up on the changes, that works. Yes, of course. If you're pointing it to your iTunes or your music folder, then Plex is just going to read what's there. You just update Plex. By default, it updates automatically when it detects that files have been changed. Well, it's got actually, it's got two settings. One, it automatically updates the metadata every three days. And then there's one, there's a setting that says update metadata periodically. I don't know what that means. But in any case, you can also manually tell it to update the metadata. And so that's what I was doing. I made a few changes in iTunes, uh, in music, and then hit Plex to, you know, to update it. And it was, it was all right there. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, you, can use, you can use them together. I suppose if you use them together, um, you know, you can, you can do the editing uh, in, in music and then use the player of Plex. Use, use Plex's abilities uh, otherwise. Another feature worth noting, again, with the Plex Pass, what is it, $5 a month? Yeah. And I think it used to be or still is $150 for a lifetime Plex Pass, you, you get a number of features, including things like multiple users. So if you've got a big library and you want to split it up between, say, the parents and the children, you can do that. You can sync your music to a device. So you can have the Plex app on your iPhone pull down music from your Plex library so it's local. Oh. So you don't have to worry about streaming it, so you can take it with you. Right. In other words, it'll, right. it'll work as a jukebox on a device like that. You get things like gapless playback and loudness leveling, which is like sound check. Apparently, some of the songs can have lyrics. So there are a slew of features. But by just the normal free version of what you get with Plex is already really quite powerful. Yeah, I think if this is not for people like us who really want to dive in with managing their music and stuff like that, but I think... For the casual listener who who needs a decent system to keep music around the house, I think this is a great way to do it as an alternative uh, to using music. I mean, of course, there are some great ways of doing it in the Apple ecosystem, too. But uh, like my friend Greg, uh, he really enjoys the ability to to get his music wherever he wants it. And uh, I don't see any reason why it couldn't be a viable alternative or working side by side with iTunes music. And again, if you do want to or already subscribe to Tidal, then you can take advantage of that to mix your library with the streaming. Now, you're not mixing the library the way you do with Apple Music, but you're able to stream and use your library at the same time. I haven't tried that. I don't plan to use Tidal. But if this is something you use, then this is an advantage. So to sum up, I would say Plex is great for video. Plex is a great way to make your library uh, accessible to various devices in or out of your house. For us, though, as easy as it is to use and as reliable as it is, uh, Plex just can't replace the stuff we use in the Apple ecosystem. But I would not hesitate to recommend Plex as a secondary media management solution or even as a primary one if you can't find yourself another platform that you're happy with. So I think that about sizes that up. So I guess we can do some next tracks now. Sure. Are we gonna, we're not going to spend 15 minutes on next tracks, though, no. are we? No. Okay. There's a genre of music that I like to listen to occasionally, but that I know absolutely nothing about, and that's Indian classical music. I think back in the late 70s, I probably heard a Ravi Shankar album, and I was somehow psychologically in an altered state, and I thought, wow, that's so cool. So every once in a while... Over the years, I would buy like a used Indian classical album of flute, of, of sitar and tabla, etc. 
Yet I just don't know anything about it. So last week I was reading uh, a novel called A Suitable Boy by Vikram Seth, which is set in India. And I thought, wow, it'd be nice to listen to some Indian classical music. And I searched in the music app for Indian classical music. And I found a whole bunch of stuff. What I want to highlight here is an album by Ustad Vilayat Khan. Now, I have no idea who this man is. He's got a badass sitar, and he looks like they all do with, you know, the big long neck and everything. And this is from the NCPA Archives, the National Center for Performing Arts. It was recorded in December 1976, digitally mastered from the original source tapes. And what's really cool about it is Raga Bilaskani, which is the first of two tracks on the album, is one hour and two minutes and 43 seconds long. And there's just something amazing about a dude who can sit there for an hour and riff on a raga like that. A raga is essentially like a scale or a mode, and they don't have the sort of chord structure that we used to. In fact, if you listen to our recent episode about Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, that's how Miles Davis conceived of Kind of Blue, is modal music without necessarily chord changes. And he riffs on these things for more than an hour, and I just find it fascinating. Now, there is a structure to these things that they start out slow, and they get faster and faster and faster until they stop. And it, I think it's always like that. I think that's just a feature, not a bug. So if you listen to like four or five sitar pieces in a row, they all have that same structure. But I just find this music fascinating, that they can just play on and on and riff. It's like what me and my friends did back you know in the 70s when we'd sit around in a garage and play for an hour without stopping so this is from the ncpa archives ustad vilyat khan from 1976 digitally remastered from the original source tapes doug what have you got bonnie pointer died this past week at 69 years old she was the founder of the pointer sisters when they were just a duo and then of course stayed with them through the time that they were a quartet she left when they were a quartet, and the three remaining sisters went on to have those tremendous hits in the 80s. But I really liked the quartet, and that's when they were doing a lot of blues and jazz and bop and all kinds of cool, fun stuff. And there was a, a, there was a double album I had, I think, that had a lot of this stuff on it. I've never been able to find it, but there apparently is a CD version of something similar, and it's called The Pointer Sisters' Yes, We Can Can. The best of the Blue Thumb recordings. As you can imagine, it's got their great song, Yes We Can Can, on it. But it also has Wang Dang Doodle, which is a, a great Howlin' Wolf song. Um, Cloudburst, Theme Heat. Both of those songs were originally done, or at least have famous versions by Lambert Hendricks and Ross. And the Pointer Sisters top those versions. This is a, a, a nice recording if, if you really dig that uh, swinging stuff that the Pointer Sisters did. I really like their 80s stuff, especially their dance stuff. Uh, the, the production on those records is really great. But the musicianship and the singing and the arrangements on this early stuff will just blow you away. They're really, really great. The Pointer Sisters, I'm so glad their stuff is recorded because they lost all the masters at the Universal Fire. So listen to it while you can. The Pointer Sisters, Yes We Can Can, the best of the Blue Thumb recordings is my next track. This was episode number 185 of The Next Track. You can start or join a conversation in the comments of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free, we are self-sustaining, so it's your support that keeps us going. 
visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adamson for Kirk McElhern. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>